Welcome to the fifth episode of Easter Mall 2014 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Armstrong, and joining me as always is the Canadian who is always looking for fruits that look like breasts, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. And the guy who is distracted right now by goats and chickens, David Bindley. Ooh. And we're already at the halfway point of this season. Indeed. Five down after this podcast and five more to go. And I'd, I'd actually forgotten until we saw the preview in last episode that they go to the Philippines so early. I always had it in my mind that it was next episode that they went. They do it at the literal halfway point of the filming, because filming is nine episodes, and they go there halfway through episode five. So it's 4.5 episodes in Hong Kong and 4.5 episodes in the Philippines. Yeah, I'd, I'd always had it in my mind that the Tiantan Buddha was the last challenge before um, the Philippines as well. And it obviously isn't. So shows how much of this season I can remember. Yeah, it's been eight years. Eight years and God knows how many reality TV seasons you've watched since then. If it helps, this kind of isn't a very memorable episode. No. Apart from, you know, pouring one out to our, our fallen fallen hero, Menifer. The final time we'll ever have to talk about her. I still don't get why... Why was an episode named after her if she's not a huge part of the season? She is one of the most forgettable people in the entire cast, which is kind of why it's so funny. Because at least Daphne had the fake execution and got executed three times. That makes her memorable. Menifer's only memorable Menifer moment is having her yoker neutralized and then being executed. Yeah, as I said last time, I'd forgotten Daphne. Daphne was like the last person that I remembered in this cast. Menifer was second last. It is a very, very good pair of episodes this to just get the chaff out of this group and give us the more memorable people, for better or for worse in the case of Tico. I had completely forgotten that Menifer exists, which is hilarious. Who's Menifer? Exactly. We will get to actually ask that question next episode because we'll probably have forgotten it by that point. Or it finds a rather scenic spot to film this recap and talking about where the group stands. Do you know where it was? Uh, somewhere in Hong Kong. I don't, but I know it's been on reality TV before. Yeah, I can tell you exactly where it was because it's Victoria Peak. I was about to say, yeah, it was Victoria. It's the only place in Hong Kong that it's high enough for him to do it and still be outside. Wow. So it's it's 100% one of the viewing platforms at Victoria Peak, because I'm pretty sure I've been there. It's weird, because like, I know of all the TV shows that could have filmed there, somehow MasterChef has filmed there. I mean, this is basically the episode where they just cross off the last couple of landmarks of uh, of Hong Kong, because we have we have the Victoria Peak intro, and then we have the Tiantan Buddha, which is probably the only major site that they hadn't been to at this point. So they've definitely covered Hong Kong by the by the end of this four and a half episode stint. I don't know why this made me laugh, but he, but in his recap, Art says, the group was unsettled by a woman being executed for the first time. Uh, why were they unsettled? The, the odds are pretty high. Because of the female alliance. But that doesn't exist, though. Don't forget the women were sticking together on this. It's going to be a final five of women, assuming the mole is a woman. It's going to be a final five of women, and there's nothing you can do about it. I love how, like, every week they've been, you know, doing that graphic with, like, the little map, and it's been the same map of Hong Kong every single time. Like, they haven't even, like, bothered going down to, like, this this week they're in Kowloon, this week they're in Repulse Bay. <laughs> it's just Hong Kong. 
Uh, so yeah, previously the final eight tried to remember words in alphabetical order before Jan Willem heard the mole sabotage. More money got sent to Ellis Island, but not by Jan Willem, as Tico still has his stolen envelope. Sophie guided Tico to a black exemption while a game of advantages saw Frake succeed, the black exemption wasn't played, and Daphne was sent home despite her yoker. And as we said, Art is on Victoria Peak and says Daphne's departure shook up the group after two male departures. The black exemption didn't come into play, nor the green one, but when they both do, it won't be in Hong Kong anymore. And the episode title, as with every episode title this season, is of course Menifer. In Heil Hang Hudsing. Well, that's the episode title in Dutch. Close enough. Although, who can tell? <laughs> so on day nine, they are taken to a very rainy neighbourhood at the foot of the Tiantan Buddha. Art immediately looks for two candidates with an eye for detail, and they, of course, pick Alf and Sophie. He gives them ten pictures of Buddhas and a walkie-talkie. Alf and Sophie have to relay these to the others as they climb the 431 steps to the top, and they have to take pictures along the way. And they've got 30 minutes to reach the top. I love how they don't even bother just uh, eulogising Daphne. It's <laughs> just straight into the first challenge. No, they don't need to, because everyone's forgotten about her already, as have we. Didn't they already eulogize her after the first, the the midpoint execution? Yes, yes they did, actually. Good point. Or they couldn't air it because it was just Tigo being really insulting? You've already had your best bits, Nikki. Get off the stage. I'd forgotten that it's a running joke this season that every time someone goes home, Tico is a complete prick about them. I know that's not a surprise because he's a complete prick about everybody, but I'd forgotten that they actually air it every time. And then we get to monkeys and temples. We do. How, as Mole, would you sabotage this challenge? Either be in the group of two? I would say be in the group of two and just not be the best at relaying the details. Or if you're in the group of five, you interrupt the group of two relaying the details through walkie-talkies as much as possible and intentionally screw up what the group of two is relaying to everyone else. Yeah, because their tactic actually isn't too bad, I would say, here. Knowing that they can divide the ten Buddhas up between the group of fives that just give them two each and make sure the mole at most can only ruin two things. There was definitely some major mulling here because I believe they get nine out of ten wrong. Yes, yes they do. They certainly get at least two of them wrong from what we saw. But I thought they compared it afterwards, and they said that only the first one that, that was officially correct, that that was the only one they were ever going to get money on. I thought they said that all the other nine were wrong. They were debating between the next two, and both of those were wrong. Oh, okay. I don't think we found out the status of the other seven. Either way, I don't, I don't think they got many right. No. The good news for us, I mean, in terms of talking about this, is the fact that Arf is one of the group of two, and we get some of her delightful descriptions of things yeah uh the one the one buddha has gross protruding from her neck and has pock marks on her head <laughs> how would you have described that buddha without saying gross it's just it's revolting mm. i mean it disgusts me i like how the group of five just can't even take af seriously with their descriptions they'll I think Menifer had to try and hold her insides as much as possible it's just so she could still listen to the rest of Arf's description. I will say this now. Arf is the greatest female character they have cast outside of Emanuela Greaves. I love Arf way too much. It's 
brilliant how she basically refuses to entertain the possibility of chaos at any point and then spends a third of the challenge just describing the things. Even better than that, she does two descriptions in eight minutes. (laughs) (laughs) The remaining eight descriptions take place in two minutes' time because Sophie obviously hurries her along off screen. But she takes eight minutes to do the first two. That was a common uh, Kim Peters stalling tactic was to make sure the conversation goes as long as possible so you have to rush the rest of the challenge, especially a detail-oriented challenge, as much as possible. Yeah. I don't even think that Arthur realises how much of a chaotic presence she's being here. And I think that's what makes it even funnier. The Buddha's right ear reminds me of my Aunt Margaret's right ear. I miss my Aunt Margaret. She made the best apple pies. Ah, come on, we got nine other Buddhas here. Yeah, the fun thing about the Tiantan Buddha is that it is right around the corner from the airport. Could this challenge have been these the first two challenges? Could they have been shown out of order? Oh no, because they announced that they were going to the Philippines after the Hunter Challenge. Yeah, I think that might be why I had it in my brain that they go to the Buddha and then onto the airport straight away, because it is right around the corner. You can get tours from um, from Hong Kong International to the Tiantan Buddha, because they're so close. They're on the same island. I was a bit surprised to see how much tablets were used in this Buddha challenge because Sophie and Af have their own tablet that displays the timer, and then the group of five had their own tablet to take pictures. I just forgot that technology was already that far along with tablets being used pretty effectively even in 2014, or 2013, I guess, when they filmed it. If you pick up on a subtle bit, there may be some product placement in this season. No way. Is it Philips? Is it a Philips tablet? It's uh, Windows. Windows tablets sponsor Bidum for years. But you'll always see Windows tablets everywhere, including the execution computer. It's a shame they had the tablet sponsor in the show and then they couldn't work out how to like doctor out the reflections on the on the red screens in post. Yeah. The good news is that um, if they'd done it a few years earlier, they could have seen Eric interact with the tablet and probably try and use it. <laughs> Can I read books on this thing? Or he holds it upside down. Yeah, you see Eric trying to use it as a phone and make a phone call back to uh, back to the Netherlands with it. <laughs> Why are you holding the camera right up to your eyeball? Another wonderfully forgotten moment from this challenge as well is Arf suggesting that her and Sophie look for yokers at a temple and Sophie steals a coin. <laughs> Buddha's going to be pissed about that. I think Art actually says this, but the Tiantan Buddha is the holiest site for Buddhism in Hong Kong. Like, it's a proper holy site, this. Nothing says holy sites like stealing from it. Yeah, they would, they would never hide jokers at a temple. No, definitely not. Twice. So Jan Willem finds a fruit that looks like an apple or a lemon or a grooved breast. They take a photo and are sure that it was correct. Spoilers, it probably wasn't. Arthur and Sophie get the impression it's all gone smoothly, which, of course, suggests to us it won't have. And then we get Jan Willem's obsession with Skunk and Nancy. <laughs> Who is Skunk and Nancy? Skunk and Nancy were a 90s band, I want to say. A 90s band led by um, a woman by the name of Skin, who has a, uh, a shaved head. Who also was the duck on the UK version of The Masked Singer a few years ago. That was her? Yes, that was Skin. Oh, wow. I didn't make the connection before. But that's actually where I know Skin from, is 
being surprisingly good on Mass Singer and surprising everyone by doing Alve Maria. I believe she was also a judge on Italian X Factor. I think she's fluent in Italian. I'm not sure whether her pass her paths crossed over with Mika or not, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did. Wouldn't be surprised. He's on every bloody TV show in Europe. That's because he can speak every bloody language in Europe. <laughs> Except Dutch. Yep, she's a British singer, songwriter, and electronic music DJ, and the lead vocalist of British rock band Skunk and Nancy. It's a terrible name for a band. I just want to have a I want to have a record of that. And she did indeed join the judging the judging panel of the Italian version of X Factor for one season in 2015. See, I did my research. So anyway, uh, Jan Willem is obsessed with her. And was it Susan picks out a clearly wrong Buddha while she's holding the walkie-talkie and Sophie's still going on about the description. Sophie also delays telling a useful clue to Jan Willem. Jan Willem gets annoyed. And by the time the challenge is over, but before they have to submit the a guess, they had to narrow down their pictures from 34 pictures on their tablet, which was the first sign of they're not going to do well with this challenge if they took 34 pictures. I think it's quite generous of production to let them take more than 10 pictures, because normally they wouldn't. Normally they'd say, you've got 10 pictures and that's it. And I don't know why this is the one challenge of this type where they went, oh no, you can delete some at the top. And the group gathers together and Art says, okay, I left out a crucial detail of this challenge. Each correct picture will earn you 250 euros. But this is a landmine challenge, so that means as soon as you show a wrong picture, it's a landmine, boom, you earn nothing. They, they love to do that at, at uh, quiz pubs, the land the landmine list. And it's always a bad sign when they say, we thought we would do quite well. Yeah, it's the same as anyone on Hunted who goes, oh, I feel really safe at the moment. You know that the hunters are just going to be around the corner for them. But yeah, I love writing a, a landmine quiz. When I did some uh, some work quizzes during the pandemic, I always wrote landmine quizzes in there because I just love really, really dickish questions. Where you go, you go, you can gamble on as many of these as you want, and you get bonuses for doing certain categories. But also, if you pick one wrong one, you're out. So they get the first one right and get the opportunity to gamble for another two hundred and fifty euros. Susan's very sure of the one with two fingers. But they go with Freak's beaded necklace, and it's wrong, and they earn nothing of 2,500 euros for the challenge. Afterwards, they also realise that Susan's one was wrong, so it all would have gone wrong regardless. And of course, Arf throws Tigo under the bus for getting it wrong. And then Tigo throws off under an actual bus, because that's what Tigo does. Tigo also throws Susan under the bus and says he spotted the other Buddha that she was looking for with two fingers, but Susan didn't. And that is typical molish actions. Then everyone talks about how great it is to have got halfway. Everyone is looking at each other nervously. And Arf said she wouldn't mind if the pot is stirred a bit. Everyone is just a little bit too comfortable right now. Art tells them that we'll be exploring the harbour of Hong Kong for the final assignment in Hong Kong. They'll be splitting up into two boats and chased by hunters with laser guns. If they manage to stay alive for 15 minutes, they can earn money for the pot but only if they manage to tell him the numbers on the back of the hunter's boats. This is one of those challenges that is fun to watch, not necessarily interesting for us to talk about. No. Yeah, this is definitely a sit back and watch this action sequence play out like a James Bond film. Yeah. 
There's so little going on here. It's basically an episode of Baywatch. The one highlight I will point out is, of course, Arf taking herself a little bit too seriously here and constantly screaming the number plate at the first boat, (laughs) which did make me laugh. Like, even after they've confirmed it, she's still screaming EB1186 at them. And I've I've read the second boat's code incorrectly. She read it wrong. It was Susan who got it right. And I'm not sure whether Frake was teasing her or not, but he does ask her to repeat it after she's already done it four times as well. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like he probably was teasing her, but they didn't include him saying it in the episode. There's one little cut in here that cracks me up. It's like Arf and her boat basically being in a full chaos mode. And then Sophie's boat just going on a nice little Sunday drive across the harbour. And they just sort of cut back and forwards between them a couple of times. Well, that, that's the thing. They divide between the two boats as to who has a sailing licence. And you have Menifer who apparently has a sailing licence, and she takes Susan, Sophie and Frake. And then you have Tico who claims he has one and just lies about it unnecessarily. Just for fun, because he just wants to drive a speedboat. And inexplicably, they are the ones who do better at this challenge. The fake license did better than the real license. And I don't even know how the mole would sabotage this, other than reading things out wrong. Shouting really loudly so the hunters, you know, know where you are. But how many other speedboats would have been in the harbour? I feel like the hunters would know where both boats are most of the time. Yeah, because they also would have been confined to a certain bit of Hong Kong Harbour, given that it's one of the busiest shipping areas in the world. And productions would have to spend an absolute fortune to secure a reasonable amount of space just to use for themselves in Hong Kong Harbour. I mean, you got probably billions of dollars worth of commercial products going in and out in and out of that harbour every day. I suspect it's why next year when they do the boat challenge, it's basically just in the middle of a lake and they're the only people there. (laughs) <laughs> and it's pedal boats instead of speed boats. Hmm. So, Jan Willem sees, so Jan Willem sees the first hunter, they get behind him and read EB1186, Arf screams it four times, and Frey casts, casts to repeat it. Frey shouts full throttle when they see a hunter, and Menifert doesn't send them full throttle. They then move into an avoidance pattern, and Menifer's boat is hit right after they get the second code. Once they get shot, they are off the walkie-talkies for good. The team of three then manage to escape. Their time in the seas is not over. They can earn two and a half thousand euros for the pot by relaying the correct numbers. They do, and they earn two and a half thousand. Makes it a lot easier when you're able to write the codes down because Jan Willem just read it off from a piece of paper. Art almost, almost looks proud of them here. I think this is the highest single increase that we see in the entire season. Actually, I don't think they earn more than two and a half thousand at one point. It depends whether you count the interest on the mail. Yeah, they certainly haven't up to this point. I like how Jan Willem's shirt said, no guts, no glory, and, you know, there's no better way to demonstrate that than reading a batch of letters from a piece of paper. (laughs) He wears that shirt in so many episodes, I'm surprised there's not a glory hole in it by the end of the season. Do you think that this challenge was just a bit of a gimme for them? They gotta earn something. I feel like this is one of the easiest amounts of money that anyone has ever earned on Vs to Mall. Yeah. I think they wanted them to have a little bit more money for the male twists. Um, I don't know if they would have made it so easy if they didn't have that twist. And Al also tells them it was their last assignment in Hong Kong, and he will see them in the Philippines. And they were not expecting this at all. No, because everyone thought Ellis Island, New York were going to America, woo. And instead they get the Philippines. 
which is slightly closer to them. And slightly more within the show's budget. Yes. <laughs> Northern Luzon, away from the bigger cities in Luzon, is very, very, very cheap in contrast to New York City. Do you think Hong Kong worked well as a location? That's a good question. I would say so. I mean, especially for it being assigned four and a half episodes, I think they picked very fitting tasks for Hong Kong. It could have been a lot worse or not really tap into as many themes, I guess, that people associate with Hong Kong. And then they threw in some unexpected things, such as that really long escalator or just trying to find those tall buildings or the fact that they made them play Chinese whispers in Hong Kong. And then the fact that the last challenge was that they were able to do a, har- a Hong Kong harbor challenge and use the harbor effectively throughout the season. And also they were able to get into a Buddhist temple. Yeah. At least it wasn't a full season. Yeah. It felt like they did basically about as much as they could. Yeah. I think dividing it evenly in half between there and the Philippines. I'm surprised that Philippines in Vidim was only represented by half a season just because... Mm-hmm. There are a lot of different islands. There's there's seven over 7,000 islands in the Philippines and drastically different regions to use. Luzon mm. is very different from Visayas, which is also very different from Mindanao, which deals with some separatist groups. Manila, of course, this, the cityscape is very, very different from like a resorty area like Boracay or Palawan with El Nido. And then you have Cebu, which also has millions of people and its own distinct landscapes. And then you have Shargao, which has all of the sharks. And then you got the Chocolate Hills elsewhere in Bohol. Yeah, there are a lot of different areas you can use in the Philippines. While with Hong mm. Kong, it's such a very limited area to use. You really just have the cityscape, maybe a couple beaches, Victoria's Peak, the harbor, and... And of course, using Kowloon as well. That's all you can really do with Hong Kong. With Philippines, there's so much more. It feels like somewhere like Singapore might work a little bit better than Hong Kong did, because you know there's just more there. But I think Hong Kong they did a really good job with, a lot better than I was expecting. One thing that just thinking about it now, they didn't really tap into any Bruce Lee stuff in Hong Kong. <laughs> They didn't. They didn't tap into that Hong that eight nineteen eighties, nineteen seventies and eighties Hong Kong action film culture like they love to do in the Amazing Race, for instance. Hmm. Like they didn't go to the Avenue of the Stars and try to find a Bruce Lee statue or incorporate that into a challenge somehow. I think what would have been de- a decent idea for the season is have half of it in Hong Kong and then half of it in Singapore. That would have been a more a more even split. Yeah. especially geographically speaking. And the similar background of British, former British colonies turned into semi, well, one is fully autonomous and the other is decreasingly autonomous. <laughs> it's still not the worst way they've divided a season because there was one season, like the first celebrity season, was Australia mm-hmm. and Indonesia. Um, and they did Australia in one of the civilian ones as well. They basically sort of did it like to bookend the thing to like, you know, as a connection. So the first five episodes are all in a very small space in South Australia. And then you've got like one episode in Darwin. And then basically the last two or three episodes are in Bali. And that's it. For, that's all they do in Indonesia. That doesn't surprise me 
too much though, because how I got to Bali was from Cannes. So it's an ideal connection to go. I'm assuming that's the only reason they went to Darwin is, oh, we have to go into that general area anyway before we go to Bali. So maybe that's why they had it set up. Yeah, I feel like Hong Kong worked as well as it could have for the four and a half episodes they used it for. Had they used it for the entire season, it would have got a bit boring, but they didn't really overstay their welcome with it. But before they leave Hong Kong, we get one last Ellis Island scene. Oh, dear Lord. (laughs) I mean, I've noticed this with the banners when I've been creating them. Tiho is in the background of far too many good reaction shots for me to cut him out of the season. Normally I would completely and utterly try and avoid him in the banners, but he's always in the background of someone doing something hilarious, and it's so frustrating. Because we get it again in this episode. He is yet again in the background of someone just entertaining me, and it's infuriating. But I don't like that so many of these scenes, especially in the early part of the season, are very Tico-centric, which might be why I hated him so much when I watched the season the first time. Just Photoshop the Buddha with the gross over his face. <laughs> I might do that. Remind me near the time I might actually do that. <laughs> but yeah, this is the peak of all Tico-centric scenes of him going, oh, I've got this bonus envelope from Jan Willem. I'm going to use it and, and screw him over a little bit, even though, you know, you're not screwing him over if money gets sent to Ellis Island. So before they leave Hong Kong, uh, Jan Willem admits that his envelope was stolen when they were handed out. And Tico tells us in confessional that he has told Menifer about the bonus one. They decide to split the money they're sending over the three envelopes, his, hers, and Jan Willem's. Tico addresses his to Susan, but told Menifer that it would be Sophie, and she addresses hers to Sophie. Tico then, when everyone turns around, posts the remaining money he has to Susan using Jan Willem's envelope. And uh, they both, yeah, they, yeah, they both sent their money to Sophie, right? No, so Tico said he was going to send it to Sophie, but then sent both of his envelopes to uh, to Susan. So Art tells us that for days they've been crossing Hong Kong, a city full of skyscrapers and people living on top of each other, but now it's time to move on to the north of the Philippines. And when they land in the Philippines, they run into Miss Columbia. Oh no, wait, wait, not Miss Columbia. I read it off my notes wrong. It clearly says Miss Philippines that they ran into. Damn it, Steve. <laughs> and I didn't even know this was even a thing to associate with the Philippines, but Sophie is enjoying how much more windy it is in the Philippines in contrast to Hong Kong. Yeah, Hong Kong doesn't really have wind. And it's it's silly for me to say that, obviously, but it doesn't really have wind to the same extent as an open patch would. Is it just from all the skyscrapers blocking wind as much yeah. as possible? Yeah, I mean, Hong Kong Airport when it was Hong Kong Airport, it's now the uh, the cruise terminal at Kai Tak, used to be one of the most dangerous airports in the world to land at because of the density of skyscrapers surrounding it. But you don't really have the danger from the, the wind knocking them off. It used to just be the fact that there was six inches either side of the skyscraper that the big jets were having to fly through. Right. That'd be scary. Yeah, apparently it was one of the scariest airports in the world to uh, to land at. I think people have still got videos on YouTube should you actually want to scare the living bejesus out of you by looking at people landing at Kai Tak. But uh, the new Hong Kong International is a bit further out of the uh, the city of Hong Kong. It's on uh, on Lantau Island rather than on Kowloon. And now they just use it to put Amazing Race contestants in car crashes. <laughs> and also I have been to Kai Tak because that is where both of my Hong Kong cruises went from. So I've been there a couple of times. 
it's definitely had its refurbishment now. And we get a couple of history lessons about the Philippines from art, one of which has aged horribly, because he said, oh, there's the oldest church in Asia, this one's super cool, and then when he gathers up all the contestants, he says, oh, this is where the famed and ex-president Marcos was born. And I'm thinking, ah, well, as of 2022, uh, Marcos is now president again. It's his son now, isn't it? His son, yes. So it's like, so so if anyone's watching this, this season, they're going to think, what? What the hell is our talking about? Marcos is president. But no, that was Papa Marcos. So good news for Eric Trump, not for anyone else. But yeah, we go from, yeah, dictator Marcos to his son being elected, much to the chagrin of many people in the Philippines. I don't know how you elect the son of a guy whose Wikipedia page constantly refers to him as a dictator. Also, because this is the Philippines, they can't travel by any other method other than jeepney. What's funny is that it's it's not that overwhelmingly popular form of transportation. I mean, just looking at people getting on this jeepney, I think I would really struggle to fit in that jeepney. <laughs> they looked very cramped in the back of it. I think I would struggle to fit in the jeepney. I mean, Saunders, you've been there and you're kind of halfway between our two heights. And presumably you've been on a jeepney. Yeah, the jeepney. Uh, well, so the tuk, some of the tuk-tuks or the the trucks, they can be tougher to fit in than a jeepney. Jeepneys actually are easier to fit in than a lot of the tuk-tuks. Because the jeepneys uh, are more just, yeah, just really uncomfortable to sit on. So you really feel any bump you go over. And there's no seat belt, so you just feel like you're going to die if there's any sort of sharp turn. And then with the tuk-tuk... I've had horrible experiences with trying to squeeze myself and my backpack in there. So in terms of wanting more room, you're better off to go with a jeepney, unless it's in Manila. Then in Manila, you're never gonna have a you're never gonna have space in the jeepney. So they are taken by jeepney to Pauai and the oldest church in Asia. And Art is looking for three people with a good sense of direction. And for some reason, they pick Tico, Sophie, and Frake. The other four will be in two pairs exploring the streets. And Tico, Frake, and Sophie must direct them back to the church in half an hour's time to earn two and a half thousand euros for the pot. However, they can only walk the same way once, they can't cross the path of the other duo, and they can't stand still. Each transgression costs them 250 euros from the potential prize money. And it is basically Snake, which inexplicably, Sophie has never played. This is very much the sort of challenge where they're like, here's an idea, where can we do it, rather than, you know, what would work well in this location? But like even then, if this is an idea you've got, you know, you might want to try making it a little bit easier to understand. Like as much as obviously I take the piss out of Chinese whispers in Hong Kong, at least it works for the location. At least there's a a tangential relationship with the location. I like this being the first challenge in the Philippines because they get introduced to all different little quirks about Filipino culture. For instance with Uff being surprised by the chickens and chicks running uh, running across the road because you see chickens everywhere in the Philippines. If you, especially in a small town like that, you're just going to be fascinated by how many chickens you see just roaming about like stray dogs or stray cats. And then Uff saying, oh, there's lots of kids just playing on the side of the road. Or uh, what else caught their attention? I remember Uff just being completely distracted I think there was a dog at one point. 
there was a dog, and I think there were goats too, where she's like, oh, look at this, look at this, I want to stop and look at this. No, you can't stop, huh? That's another, <laughs> you're not going to earn any money by the end of this. Yeah, it was, it was goats and chickens she was being distracted by, which really annoyed Jan Willem. And then Susan's walkie-talkie hat is static for a chunk of this challenge, which is extremely suspicious. Yeah, Menifer and Susan had a really bad team up here, because they almost immediately ignore Frake's instructions and stop, and get two infractions from that. There is the walkie-talkie nonsense, and they just keep stopping. Like, it's such an easy challenge if you are a mole this, regardless of what team you're on. Because if, you're in the, if you're in the church, then obviously you just accidentally make people cross paths and stuff, and they'll never know about it. But if you're not, you can just stop and dawdle and walk too slowly or cross another team's path or accidentally stumble upon them. There was no way they were ever going to win money in this challenge. Even if it was possible, I still don't know how they were supposed to get the two and a half grand because they've both got to be at the church at the same time, which means they're going to lose money for that because they're going to cross paths with each other getting there. Or they come from opposite directions. If one comes from the left of the church, one comes from the right, they presumably would have had a safe zone in front of the church where they can cross paths. Presumably, if they went in the same door, they wouldn't get penalised for that, because that's a bit harsh. But yeah, it's practically impossible to earn any money in this one. And I think while they're waiting for both pairs to sprint through the doors, Tigo says to Freak, well, we gave it our best shot. Or, or not. <laughs> And did you guys catch the wax bishop that was transported across at the after the challenge was over? Because no. that wax bishop was super creepy. His name is Tigo. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't recall the wax bishop calling the local uh, Filipino population a, a cluster of motherfuckers. No, that's just the old president. I don't recall uh, the wax bishop sticking his middle finger up at them either. Yeah. He just tosses out copies of Jan Willem's envelopes to the local crowd. It's the new Filipino way of doing tithes. Just throw the envelopes <laughs> out. <laughs> and send them to a church in Ellis Island. So uh, as much as obviously this is a very visual challenge and an absolute mess, and therefore we've not got much to say about it, where would you be as the mole in this challenge, Michael? I think it is easier probably to be on the streets, but I think there is an obvious sabotage for both sides. I don't think it really matters where the mole is in this challenge. Yeah, because if you're the if you're Tigo and Sophie, you can just uh, and Freak, you can just intentionally give bad directions and screw around with the walkie-talkie. And then if you're if you're in the duos, you can just try to ignore whatever necessary information your partner uh, doesn't catch and then not really correct them when they're doing anything wrong or try to handle the walkie-talkie and keep pushing the button down. Those would be the easiest ways to sabotage from the duo's perspective. Yeah, I don't think it really matters, unlike most challenges, where the mole was in this challenge. Because I think you can make an argument for, for the mole being on both sides. And production did give them one reprieve that even though there were 11 penalties total that t that would have combined for 2,750 euros from the pot, they don't deduct the 250 euros. They just say that they earned zero. That's the thing. There were actually 16 infractions. Of course you counted them. 
No, we actually have Tico to thank for this because um, Art gives up after 11. And we find out in a confessional of Tico that they also found out there was another five infractions after that as well. So it's actually 16. Yeah, so luckily Art didn't say, give me give me a thousand euros. Or give me 1,250 euros. So, it does mean that they earn nothing of 2,500 for the challenge, 2,500 is 7,500 for the episode, and 7,450 of 27,750 for the season so far, 6,950 of which has been sent to Ellis Island. They could have earned an extra 22,350 euros from Ellis Island with interest, and he also tells them to prepare for test and execution. Now, I do say 27,750. Art says at the execution that it should be 3,750. But I can't make that maths work. There's only one assignment we don't know the money of, and that was the market assignment. And I highly doubt that they had put four and a half thousand euros in that challenge. Yeah, it could, I mean, just one thousand euros. One thousand euros is a simple error. Yeah, I've gone back and checked my notes multiple times in the past few days since watching this episode, and I can't make it work to thirty-seven fifty. So, I think they might be wrong, or they're fiddling the numbers somewhere. So Sophie says it's strange how after one beep, they let the beeps happen again. Susan doesn't understand how they managed to cross each other's paths, which is something the church team were meant to prevent. Tico says anyone who sees the island that they're staying on is going to play their advantage to stay a bit longer, so he's going to play his Black Exemption now. Freak is unsure as to when it can be played by, which is episode 7, so Sophie wants to have a chat with him and make sure that he plays it this round. Sophie's kind of having a heel turn here. Well, yeah, she's a she helped out Tigo of all people. Yeah, I don't remember Sophie being this antagonistic. Yeah, because she completely screws over Freak's exemption here, and also Menifer's yoker. Yeah, I would actually say that she is more culpable for Freak's exemption not being able to be played here than Tico is, because she does all the manipulative work here. Yeah, because even Freak, Freak repeatedly says, Sophie, can I trust you? Can I trust you? And Sophie says, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Why would I lie to you? Why would I help out Tigo? Jesus Christ, am I, I'm not a monster. Why would I help out Jan Willem of all people? <laughs> yeah. No guts, no glory. I want to see his guts all, all, all over here when uh, he gets executed uh, this round. Because for some reason they decide to lie and say Jan Willem has got the black exemption and that he would definitely tell Sophie that he has it rather than, you know, anyone else. And we get to the quiz and Tigo has this brilliant quote after playing his black exemption where he says, I can make plenty of friends at a pub in Amsterdam, but I'll make no friends while here in the Philippines. And all I can think is, good luck making friends in Amsterdam. How drunk do those people at the pub have to be? Not drunk, just high. Or both. They're crunk. He is such a colossal arsehole in the first half of the season. And the second half. And Renaissance. Yeah, but we've only done the first half of the season so far. But I actually probably hate him more than I did when I first watched these episodes because he is unrepentantly acting like the sort of people who go, oh, I'm not here to make friends on every reality show. And they immediately are the people we hate above everyone else. Do we know if he's done any of the other reality shows in the Netherlands? Like, has he, has he done Survivor? I think he has. Did he win? Did he get shut out in a jury vote with zero votes? No, of course he didn't win his Tico. If he won, do you think he'd be doing this? Yes. Ah, uh, good point. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, oh. <laughs> I, <laughs> I just read the notes about the execution. Are we still doing that whole, oh, the, the contestants take a quiz, 20 questions about the mole, whoever scores the lowest goes home, except for the mole who can never go home. Yeah, so it, it's time for the test, 20 questions about the identity and actions of the mole, whoever knows least goes home, except for the mole who can never go home. Tico's got a black exemption, Freight's got a green one, and Menifer has got a yoker. That's all I need to say on that. And just to be clear, it's 20 questions about the identity and actions of the mall. Just <laughs> 20 questions in general. What's the capital of China? It is 100% 20 questions on the identity and actions of the mall. Who knows who's got home except for the mall who can never go home. <laughs> if you have rickets, what, what vitamin deficiency do you have? What is art's favorite color? And when you say never... <laughs> <laughs> like they're there forever they're just stuck in the philippines until the next marcos is president this is what art says <laughs> for the record the only thing i can see that tico has done outside of um vidim twice is um the dutch version of the mass singer in which he played the giraffe and came fourth in the finale so during the execution art calls out freaks green exemption but then, oh, the idle nullifier. No, not the idle nullifier. The black exemption was used. And uh, Freak, he types in Freak's name first, says he's safe. Then he asks Menifer if she uh, played anything. She says no. Then says yes, for some reason. And admits that she wasted her yoker and that she's pissed. So then Art says, oh, it's a level playing field. And right after Freak is put in as being safe... Menifer says, I like to touch you, but I'm sticky. I don't want to rub it off on you. Exact quote. Presented without comment. It's like that, it's like that Chief Clancy Wiggum quote. Oh, I got this ball of jerk off. Do you want me to spray my jerk off on you? So yeah, given that basically she is the weak point of the entire final seven, unsurprisingly her screen is red and she goes home. She is the person who is sent home, unlike the mole who can never go home. Because she answered 20 questions about the identity and actions <laughs> least successfully. She knew the least, so therefore she had to go home. <laughs> and I don't know why hundreds of episodes into me doing that every single episode is now making Logan laugh so much. Have we explained this enough for our American listeners to understand it yet? I don't know. I think people who are just used to Mold US might have their minds blown by exemptions not being handed out like candy. And ridiculous amounts per episodes. I mean, I looked up the Wikipedia page for the second UK one yesterday, and there is one exemption for the entire series. Like, that would blow Americans' minds. So, what happens if Menifer had tied with somebody else knowing the least about the mole? <laughs> the mole of which could ne- can never go home. Uh, then the mole who can never go home because they don't need to answer the 20 questions about their own identity and actions would have then had the casting vote of who to send home. And they would have had to get up okay. in front of everyone and then uh, cast the, the tie vote. They're basically head of house mold. Tie vote, does that... Well, then, does that mean a tie person goes up to announce who the mole has chosen to go home? Anyway, Menifer goes home. Nobody cares. <laughs> oh, and uh, Art says... What kind of group are you leaving behind, Menifer? And then Menifer says, a very fun group. And Tigo. 
but she says that she's certain about who the mole is now, but it was too late. And I'm thinking, well, if you knew who the mole was, if you know the most about the mole, uh, you can't go home because the person who goes home is the person who knows the least about the mole, uh, and the mole who is the one that never goes home. Because the mole knows the answers to the 20 questions <laughs> about the identity <laughs> and actions of the mole. <laughs> okay, so I'll go over my suspect list for this episode. So, number one, I still suspect Af. Af is still number one. Number two is Susan, because she did a lot of suspicious stuff this week involving walkie-talkies and that whole two-finger fiasco, which has nothing to do with the two fingers that Menifer didn't want to rub off on uh, on Freak during the execution. Uh, number three is Freak. Number four is Jan Willem. Number five is Sophie. Number six is Menifer. Speaking of Jan Willem, he had the quote of, My top suspect has been executed at each of the three executions. My only suspect left is Menifer. She has to be the mole. So now that she's gone, Jan Willem says, One thing is for sure, the mole is doing a pretty good job. But I would say, how good of a job do you have to do in order to fool Jan Willem? I mean, this guy, is he, he suspected Daphne, he suspected Maurice. He suspected Owen, and now he's suspected Menifer. So, I don't know, Jan Willem, I just think you really, you if you're a contestant, if you're a candidate, you just really suck at this game. It has no indication of how good of a job the mole is doing. I mean, he thinks you, Rowan, is fun to work with, so... Yeah, I mean, if you're willingly working with you, Rowan, for years on end, uh, then not only are you not doing a good job on the mole, you're just not doing a good job in life. So do we want to eulogize Menifer? I think we kind of did. She had an episode named after her for some reason. I'm still trying to figure that out. The note I wrote was much more of a character than I remembered, but, and then I completely forgot to finish the rest of the sentence, which seems fitting. Yeah, it's, it is a real shame that she um, she just did so badly at knowing the identity and actions of the mole. I mean, she knew least and she had to go home. And she wasn't the mole, so she could never, never go home. Yeah, Maybe her butt got in the way of her knowing who the mole was, because that kept coming up as an issue in the first two episodes of the season. The one thing I will point out as well is, as she has already left, we cut back to the final six people, and Tico says he's not sorry to see her go home for the fourth person on the chart, and he also says in front of the group that Jan Willem was the one who used the black exemption. He sneakily actually says in front of the entire group that it was Jan Willem. And then, well, then Jan Willem would know it was... Tigo. But yeah, Tico's just been unnecessarily antagonistic to these people. And I don't know whether I've mentioned it in the past five episodes. So, next time, Tico wakes everyone up, Art gives them a dilemma, and they cast an eye into the future uh, before another person goes home. Have you guys got anything else you want to say? I'm good. So 20 questions, nope. you say? Yeah, just to be clear, it's only 20 questions about the identity and actions of the mole. So, thank you for listening to our VS Mall 2014 recap. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for an old mall in Hong Kong and the Philippines. Don't forget, you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are RTV Warriors, or you can email us and contact us at rtvwarriors.com. Logan's on Twitter at LogsQuacky, Bindles is the Grim Recapper, and I'm MJ Harmstone. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash rtvwarriors. Thank you, as always, to Marika for the subtitles. We'll see you next week. Peace out and just chill till the next of flavoring. I'm going to go check out Jan Willem's glory hole.